0: Geek Top 5, Quarantine Edition.
1: Yay! There was time now. There was was all the time I needed.
0: Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham and we're back uh, back to our dueling lists which is sort of the most fun thing we've found to do with the show while we're in these these uncertain times let's say it's have heard
1: one from. of the most fun things i don't want to make Ooh, the other one you, ones you feel want to do another it. draft don't oh, you i, love I can doing the hear draft.
0: it <laughs> i can hear it in the back of your throat uh hey yo know, that may be coming up you'll have to stay tuned to see but this week another round of dueling lists What's going on this week? I mean, who knows what week it is. But, uh, well, we sort of do, because this week marks the return of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, Season 3 is premiering on CBS All Access and Crave up here in the Wild North. Uh, which is fine. Very excited to see more of it. But I think fans, and certainly us, we're still lamenting the loss of Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Uh, easily one of the best Starfleet captains we've ever had. Um... Anyway, so uh, with with Anson Mount uh, not being back on the show, it's a little disappointing, but we also know uh, that Anson Mount's Christopher Pike got his own show, and that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is in production, and we're going to see it sometime soon. And uh, that got us thinking, I mean, like, really looking forward to that, to see more of him, but also thinking, you know what, there's a whole list of characters in Star Trek, and there's probably more than a few who deserve spin-offs of their own. So we've come up with sort of the, sort of our top five, sort of, I was going to go with like characters who deserve their own spin-off, but maybe just spin-off concepts for Star Trek shows that
1: uh, we would like to, we'd like to sink our eyes into. <laughs> that sounds really gross, but yes, let's sink our eyes into our, our, our first offerings. Do you want to go first? Well, sure. I mean, the audience has to use their ears, but regardless.
0: <laughs> sure. Why not? I'll kick it off. Uh, so, my number five, and admittedly, this is down at the bottom of number five because I'm a little waffly on this one, but I would really like to see a Rachel Garrett Enterprise C show. Um, yesterday's Enterprise, an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in season three aired in February 1990. We've talked about it on the show before, I think on our top Enterprises list, where I liked the Enterprise-C, the Ambassador class, a lot, but admitted that most of it was probably due to its badass captain, Captain Rachel Garrett, played by Trisha O'Neill.
1: Now, that, that I think, would be a big problem, because she, that performance really sells it, and I feel like without having her around... To, to reprise the role, or... Because, or, I mean, even if you did bring her back to reprise the role, I don't even know if she's still alive, but she would be significantly She significant- would the older. right age. Yeah. yeah, we don't
0: want to do old... If for sure, I think we're going to be casting a new, like, young hot shot as... But I'm sure you can find a badass woman somewhere to play <laughs> a badass Enterprise Captain. Hey, I mean, look, so a big deal is her portrayal. Rachel Garrett, we said at the time, is what we wanted Captain Janeway to be. Rachel Garrett is a take-no-nonsense, instant loyalty-inspiring sort of command figure, and that's not to say that it's not to take too much of a dump on Captain Janeway. But I think what they did with her character is they they made her a little bit too much of the ship mom.
1: Yeah, I don't think that was the intention at first, but it definitely landed there pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it, it sort of got stuck. There's a lot of Voyager episodes where. Uh, uh, where like one character has a character failing that gets exposed and then he has to go like confess to Mama Janeway who tells them that it's okay and uh, she's disappointed but she'll but not mad and she'll guide them through this and everyone will be better as a result and it was kind of doing that character a disservice especially to the earlier Janeway who was a little harder yeah Uh, yeah Rachel Garrett on the other hand is maybe a bit too far at the opposite extreme like she is tough as nails And so I kind of want to see more of that character, and that's where most of this is coming from. But also, I really like the time period that we get here. Um, Doing an Enterprise C show means we would sort of fall into some of the pitfalls that we see with shows like Discovery, where you have risk of prequelitis. Like, it sort of traps them in a box with things that have to happen. But this time period, the time period like after Kirk, but before Picard, is largely unexplored.
1: And there's a lot of... We have a few Stargazer episodes. You got your, your Patrick Bateman, the, the Kelsey Grammer character, but other than that, there's not a lot done there. I guess there's the Sulu flashback episode on Voyager as well, but really unexplored, real uh, you know neutral zone within the series. Yeah, and you think about
0: like think about that like the Sulu as captain of the Excelsior is pre Enterprise B, so there are. Decades unexplored there to get across John Harriman and the Enterprise B to get to the Enterprise C and then you know, all her stories before she hits Nelvana 3 uh, which is when yesterday's Enterprise where she briefly gets thrown into the future so we can meet them and then gets back and gets blown up there you go um, that's your, season, your series finale right there well yeah pretty much uh, but there's a whole lot of interesting stuff there. It's so it's you know the stabilization of the alliance between the Klingons and the Federation. There's a lot of Romulan stuff happening here because it's about this time period where the Romulans disappear, only to reappear at the end of Star Trek: Next Generation, where yeah, that thing the Next Generation usually does, where it's like, oh, they weren't around. I had no idea. But get to learn more about that, there's also some beta, like, not canon, but expanded universe material discussions that talk about, or Garrett has an encounter with the Cardassians. So very early Cardassian stuff that could maybe lead up into that conflict. Like, there's a lot of tastes, you know, like a lot of samples of flavor of adventures that this crew could go on. I think it's much more fertile ground even as a, you know, a prequel so to speak I think there's a lot of room to have new adventures there and you don't have to keep wondering about like well what makes it futuristic like what makes it better than the enterprise E, you know the stuff they're doing in Discovery now that they're 300 years from the future and even in Picard where it's like okay everyone has hologram displays now that's what makes it futuristic no now we,
1: we know what the time period is we know what the technology can do all the rules are established I mean, we would have thought that about the uh, first couple of seasons of Discovery, but they threw that out of the window real quick. Yeah, and it was a big sticking point with people, right? Yeah, especially us.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like it's, it's, there's a lot of opportunity for storytelling there that you can do without having to worry about impacts on the other canon. And of course, it goes that to mention again, just the Ambassador-class ship, the Enterprise C, I think, is gorgeous, and I'd love to see, love to see more of that ship and more ships of that era. Um, personal fetish, I guess, but <laughs> that still works for me. Um, but I'll admit it's number five on my list because, look, as cool as Rachel Garrett was, she has maybe thirty lines, um, and, I, I and she owns them. I think even that is is high. It's it may be high. Like she she owns what she does, but admittedly, it's a pretty minor character. So in terms of you know, there are other people. There are four, at least four other people on my list in my mind who I think deserve it a lot more. But, I mean, I guess if you were stuck for ideas for a Star Trek show, I think that could be a good one.
1: It does, we only really know, you know, one other member of our crew, which is uh, Richard Castillo, right? The heartthrob who takes Tasha Yar away. Um, but, so it does leave you a lot of room to, to build a cast around her that isn't, isn't cemented by stuff we already know. That would be interesting too, maybe throw some new aliens in there, stuff like that. Exactly. You, you don't need to bring Spock
0: in in the second season to make it interesting, right? You can do something <laughs> what of your dick. own. I mean, let's be honest. Like it, it went pretty well, but when we saw the Enterprise at the end of Disco Season 1, we all felt a little cheated.
1: <laughs> or we felt relieved, like ah, now we're coming. Now, now it's going to be stuff that I know. Now it's going to be something I recognize. <laughs> right. Thank God the Enterprise is here, at Star Trek again. I don't have to keep watching this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that's what exactly what I felt, but maybe there was a, a bit of that. Mm.
0: Any case, I don't know if there's too much more to say about that, um, unless you had comments. Otherwise,
1: should we move on to your number five? Sure. So, so the way I tackled this, um, I, I, especially looking at it now, I realized. None of my ideas are really, they really, none of them really revolve around a crew on a ship doing stuff. It's not going to fit in the traditional Star Trek format. We've got so many shows like that. Everything we know is some version of that, except I guess for Deep Space Nine, which is on a space station and then also a ship. Uh, so all of these spin-offs are going to take the, the Star Trek format into a brave new world, or a strange new world, maybe. So this first uh-huh. one... <laughs> This first one is uh, pretty out there. I'll admit, it's uh, it's going to be about Ben Sulu. Who's Ben Sulu? I hear you asking. That's on the tip of my tongue. That is uh, our good buddy Hikaru Sulu's husband, who is seen very briefly in Star Trek Beyond. He is uh, he's got their their daughter, and they live on the starbase Yorktown. And the movie begins with. Uh, with Hikaru Sulu going on shore leave on uh, the Yorktown and reuniting with his his husband and daughter, and they they go about. And their that's day. all we see of them. Yeah, I th- I thought Rachel Garrett was an obscure pole. <laughs> so, but I think it would be interesting to to show what family life is like in the Star Trek universe on this star base that's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We've already done star bases with Deep Space Nine, but this one would be a Federation one. it will be a lot brighter. It's going to work properly, and it's going to be from a civilian perspective. The more I thought about it, the more I, it occurred to me that it would be like a show that was about Keiko O'Brien after she kind of got written out of the show. You know, at the beginning, she was there as the teacher in the school, but as the show went on, she was going on a lot of botany expeditions down to Bajor for seasons at a time. So, this would be like that. This is Sulu's husband raising a daughter on the space station. Maybe John Cho could cameo once or twice a season, and they could have... You know quarrels. I'm I'm here raising our daughter, and you're off gallivanting around space. We don't know if you're gonna come home or not. There could be a framing narrative of every episode of uh, Ben sort of writing a letter or a journal entry for for Hikaru out there in mm-hmm. space to let him know what they're up to. It would just be like family drama and and whatever Ben's job is on the space station. I couldn't figure out what that might be. I didn't want to limit it just yet, but maybe he's uh, a volunteer on the the starbase. Uh, leadership team but he also runs a store in the promenade who knows I think it's just a, a world we haven't really seen in Star Trek before so in terms of the
0: family dynamics how old is Demora Sulu at this point Like, is this him raising a toddler or is she like an angsty teen what are we like What where's the where are we fitting in here
1: well I'm trying to go based on what we see in Beyond so Demora was, was in his arms and they're running away from Idris Elba at one point
0: Right, right. Okay, yeah. so yeah, so she's still three or four. You're talking, so yeah, he's yeah. raising a young kid.
1: Yeah, maybe first days of school, things like that. Get that sort of drama, and as the series goes on, we age her up appropriately. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that could be drama with him at work, uh, dealing with aliens, all sorts of neat Star Trek stuff to throw in there, but also have a, a focus on the family dynamics and the struggles of being a single parent in the 23rd century.
0: Okay, all right. Um, hmm. So I'm just trying to come up with a plot line. So like, it's too young to have like, I'm gonna run away, Dad. Uh, but you're gonna have like, like, are they? Like, is they gonna have sci-fi problems? Like, is the space station like we know? Idris Elba attacks it with this fleet of bug spaceships until they're defeated by the Beastie Boys. But <laughs> spoilers. Like, like, he would have to. Yeah. But he like. <laughs> I'd say that he would have to be in some position of authority or importance on the station. Like, otherwise, a lot of the you know, Plot Hook episodes would have him just hiding in a shelter, right? Or <laughs> is it that you think it really is more focused on like a family drama stuff? It's like, how are we going to you know, make it to the end of the week? Let me try something new kind of thing. And it just happens to be spaced based on a space station.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking, uh, you know the Voyager episode where the Doctor has a family yeah. So so it's- in that they it's like a it's that was a very melodramatic family story but like bolana tweaks things so that so that everything's heightened and they take f- similar problems to what are, is on any family show but sci-fied them up. So like the the teenage son is has fallen in with a Klingon crowd and is listening to bad Klingon opera and is irritating everyone in the house. I think that's the sort of thing you do, where you, you tell familiar stories with a sci-fi twist. But then I also do think, like, maybe have him be on the civilian council that... Because uh, it's a Federation space station, I think, so... Have him not be Starfleet or, f- or or part of the Federation government, but be there to offer a civilian voice as to what's going on. And he's constantly frustrated because Admiral so-and-so isn't listening to his ideas and going to to Hikaru for help and, and how, to, how to talk to her or whatever.
0: Okay, all right. Listen, it, it's my uh, number I, I, five. I'm not saying. Oh, no, I hear you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not coming down on it. It, uh, you know, I mean, you know me. There's
1: no ship. It's tough. To, it's a tough sell. But, uh, but no, I'd be interested to see what they do with it. Maybe, maybe little Demora uh, gets away from him at some point and gets on uh, a packled freighter and, and uh, takes off, and he's all freaking out and he has to go get her back somehow. There's all sorts of episode ideas.
0: Yeah. all right, Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: All right, what's your number four? All right, All right my number
0: four? Um, this might take a bit to explain, but I really want to do a Dax show. And key to that is not Gen Zia Dax, not Ezri Dax. I want to do the Dax show. So for the one—I know, we've mentioned this before. We do have a listener who isn't into Star Trek. I can't—they must really be bored <laughs> I think with, like, a, half our episodes. there's a few.
1: I think there's a few.
0: But, yeah, go on. Well, so for that, those few of you who don't know Dax, Dax is a character originally introduced in Star Trek Deep Space Nine who's a trill. Um, so their species, essentially, they have a symbiotic relationship. So there are humanoid hosts to these organisms that live inside of them. And Dax is this organism that's passed from host to host over hundreds of years. Um, and so we meet Jadzia Dax, who's a young woman who's who has this... Dax thing living inside of her but over the course of the show we learn about like she carries the memories and like has lived all these lifetimes of all these previous hosts now there's a book uh, I think it's literally called The Lives of Dax and it's a short story anthology where they tell one short story from like each host and I feel like that's a huge missed opportunity because what it is essentially it's just like seven stories about seven characters or nine characters. What I want to do is I want to tell a show where the main characters of this show are each host, and it sort of jumps back and forth in time, like a, like a Witcher thing, kind of. And as you like see, the, like, there isn't literal time travel, but you see, so this episode is with the fourth host, this episode's with the first host, this episode's with the... And you, the point of the show is you can watch... As you get familiar with each, like, the lives of each of these characters, you see how their experiences and the things that they've learned have influenced the later hosts down the line. And so you get to Jedzia and Ezri.
1: Now th- so that seems like it would be uh, hard to do episode to episode. Like, it's a lot to fit in. Are, are you going to have all nine characters appear in every episode, or is it just going to be a few, a handful each time? Yeah, I think it's like one or two each time. Okay.
0: Uh, maybe with little bits and then referencing to the older ones. So, just to, like, just to establish our cast here so, what we have about the hosts. Um, so, the first one was Leela Dax, who was a legislator in the, the, the Trill, Trillion, I don't know, the Trill government. Um, what we know about her is that uh, she was just a, an important legal figure and was fond of her children. Uh, the next one was Tobin, who was a like a shy, introverted engineer, um, who's you know super good with machines but terrible with people. After that was Emoni, who's an Olympic gymnast, uh, duh, 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 and apparently had a brief possible flirtation with Leonard McCoy. So that's fun. Um, after that was Audrid, who's the head of the Trill Symbiosis Commission, which is basically the government organization that arranges to match hosts to symbionts, so that's a really useful framing device for sort of explaining how this works to the audience. Um, Maybe some corruption there. Maybe, as we do know that's a real thing from Deep Space Nine. We'll get to a couple hosts down the line. After that was Torias, who was a shuttlecraft pilot with a fraught marriage. Um, with a nervous Nellie wife who was constantly telling him to take it easy, and he was way too lax and irresponsible. He was only joined with the symbiote for a year before he was killed in the accident. Um, after that was Joran, who was the musician, a pianist, actually, and he's especially interesting because he's the one that they cover up. They intentionally block the memories because he's a murderer. He's a criminal. They occasionally call him a serial killer. I think it looks like it was only three or four people. I don't know what the, you know, how many people counts as a serial kill? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And then after that was Curzon Dax, who was Jadzia's immediate predecessor, who was the Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire and is, like, you know how Klingons are usually portrayed as like your drunken best friend in later Star Trek series. He was basically that. Um, he was a mentor to Benjamin Sisko, the captain in Deep Space Nine, um, and just like you know, has a lover in every port and knows all the drinking songs. And I actually chose to end his life during Jamaharan, <laughs> a, uh, a unexplained implied sexual right on Risa. And then after that was Judzia Dax, and then Ezri Dax, who are the characters who show up on Deep Space Nine. So maybe you start off like like you start off with Audrid explaining how it works, and then she's like memories of Leela, and then you can see like like the legal like, like things that went into place to building that that to the commission, and you can skip ahead a bit to Tauriis and see like how like how carefully they, how that affects him, and just going back and forth seeing how it all works, I, I admit that's not going to be easy, but I think that's really fascinating that you can have these like have these nine people but who share a memory that gets passed down between. I think it would be a really interesting... like, like a, I don't want to say high concept,
1: because that sounds too like nose in the air, but <laughs> a unique take on a show. It's something it's, cool that you could do. It kind of reminds me of uh, This Is Us, which is a, a show that's been going for a few years and, and it's jumping back and forth in time between the parents of these three kids and then the three kids as adults and, and you see them at different points in their lives and each the two or three stories going concurrently inform each other through time yeah there you go it sounds like exactly what i'm talking about it's just that instead of one generation you're talking about you
0: know hundreds of years
1: yeah I, that's the one thing that has always kind of bugged me about the trill stuff because it feels like Like, how could this only have been going on for, what, like, 300 years, based on the number of of hosts? It feels like there should be way more hosts.
0: Well, I mean, in terms of—see, this is part of that story that shows up on Deep Space Nine, that, like, becoming a host to a symbiont is this exhaustive process, and the generally accepted truth of it is that, like, only the most excellent people— like even have the physical strength, like the, the gusto necessary to become a host, like being an astronaut, right? Right. Not everybody can go up into space. Now we find out over Deep Space Nine that that's actually a lie, that that's a cultural thing that they do to protect the symbiotes, so they don't
1: end up just like being traded like party favors, right? But but it still seems like there's sh- there should be. How long has it been going on? Are there are there times where the the symbiote is just in that weird yucky pool waiting for a new person to show up or or is it always just from person to person to person sounds like a great plot line to be explored on a show (laughs) also i would say maybe it in order to so much has already been said about the dax symbiote and its past and its hosts maybe it makes more sense to do a different symbiote but still leave it as a trill I thought that, but, like, but you say, like, so much has already
0: been said. But, I mean, that was literally, like, I gave you everything. Like, Leela Dax is a legislator, and she was fond of her kids. Like, that's it. <laughs> right. There's so much to explore there. And I think because the story is about the Trill, it could be, you know, setting up the laws around the Symbiosis Commission and maybe establishing this order of, like, no, we have to protect the symbiotes and we have to do this whole thing. Like, there's there's so many cool stories you can tell there just with that character alone, much less how those decisions impact hosts further down the line. I think there's infinite opportunity for stories to tell. I mean, I guess what you do is you wouldn't focus too much on Jadzia and Ezri. Like, they're covered. Yeah,
1: and uh, the murderer guy—he had at least yeah, two episodes. Is, yeah, he's he's pretty finished. Uh, I mean, C- Curzon. Curzon is sort of covered,
0: but like in a way that makes you want to see more. Yeah, yeah, he's that's well established,
1: but but still, there's a lot of there's a lot of room to explore there. Anyway, that's my number four.
0: Uh, it's it's a little different, like yours. It's not your usual Star Trek show, but I think that'd be really cool.
1: So my number four, uh, I don't have a specific established character in mind, but I want to do something about the Maquis. Now, this is... This is sort of similar to what I pitched for my show when we did our Star Trek draft. It ended up being kind of Maquis-heavy. But this I want to do actually from their perspective. Whenever we've had um, the Maquis in, in Star Trek, they've always been the bad guys. And the the thing is that, that their plight is very sympathetic. Like, their position isn't, isn't like... your usual villain in Star Trek or any other show. There's, maybe their methods are extreme, but they're the sort of terrorist characters that you can sympathize with and I I think it would be interesting to get their perspective and see the Star Trek universe from the perspective of these characters that are on the outside of the Federation, who have purposely left the Federation and are trying to fight against these Cardassians who are, are in Trying to destroy their homes and ruin their lives, and the Federation isn't there to help them. In fact, the Federation has put them in the position that they're in. Um, you get Maquis on on Voyager. They they integrate with the crew, but for the most part, they integrate so quickly and so seamlessly that you never really see them in the this role where they're they do have strong principles that are compatible with with the Federation's usual principles, but. Because they aren't doing what the Federation wants to do, they're they're the sort of people that the Federation might usually help in a, a conflict. But they're but this in this situation, the Federation's actually pushing them away. So they're they're it's it's a conflict that ha- is is ripe with political intrigue and uh, moral gray areas and and stuff like that, that that speaks to our present political climate. I think any political climate once you start to learn more about history and and the world and and that conflict would be really in- interesting to explore.
0: All right. I I like that. I do like the I do like the you know, it's the federation but the federation is treating them bad. Um but I do think we need to like okay, so you don't have a specific character in mind, but what like Who is the person who's the star of the show? Are they, like, a Maquis sympathizer who goes over to their side? Are they... Like, like, are they a Chakotay figure or are they a Tom Paris figure? Are they an
1: Eddington figure? Are they, like, a... I don't think any of those quite work for for what I'm thinking here. Like, I want to do a character... Like, maybe the main character is, is someone who's never been in the Federation before. Who's just someone who wanted to be on their colony doing their thing and feel very betrayed so like the, the people in Journey's End the, the uh, native peoples who are on that planet maybe one of them is the, the star of the show and there can be ex-Federation ex-Starfleet people on the ship with them like I guess this one would be m- ship based like a car, uh, Maquis Raider uh, and and the crew could be made up with people like that but I think I, I really want the voice to be people who aren't Starfleet in any way They're, these are people who've never been had those rules
0: so your star is like a plowshare, is a swords kind of guy. Yeah. Like he was living a quiet life, and then this terrible thing happened, and now he's taking up arms mm-hmm. against injustice.
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much every other star uh, Maquis character that we've seen, like a, a face character that we've seen, is someone who was in Starfleet and then is a traitor because they've left to join the Maquis. They sympathize with their plight. I wanted to be someone who hasn't been Starfleet someone who isn't like a traitor and has that that mark against them these are people who are just principled and and are thankful for the help of the Starfleet people but are are really upset with how they've been treated by the Federation and want to to do their part to keep their people free
0: okay so episode wise is it like traveling from colony to colony? Uh, like, trying to help out where possible while avoiding Starfleet? Is it more of an arc? Is it, like, they have a big plan
1: to blow up a Cardassian base somewhere? Like, what's yeah, happening? I think I think it's going to be um, doing runs to resupply colonies to uh, take out Cardassian stuff and also to get under the radar of, of the Federation and, and Starfleet, and maybe I'd, I'd, in some episodes they have to sabotage or steal from Starfleet to resupply people that's that's sort of what I'm thinking and it's a ragtag crew and the, the, we'd also see some of the dregs of the Federation or, or what the Alpha Quadrant is like outside of the Federation like we saw in, in Picard in that one episode or or you know every once in a while you get a peek at it in uh, next generation and it looks like a bad Star Wars cosplay. <laughs>
0: yeah outside of the federation always looks like mus
1: isley doesn't it yeah <laughs> yeah okay all right no i'm on board and the, the other thing with the maquis is we've got the whole through the course of deep space nine and next generation voyager you get the whole arc of their existence but it's always from the outside you know at one point the cardassians are just like oh yeah we destroyed all the maquis and then on voyager they're like oh oh everyone's that that's it. The Maquis are done. It's just us, and it's, it's it seems so anticlimactic, and you never really see it. And this would be a chance to show from maybe their very beginning to their very end, and and have it be a more meaningful end to them, be a more tragic end as opposed to just something that happens off screen.
0: Yeah, dark, right? Appropriate, but dark. Okay, what do you got for number three? Sure, um, my number three. Alright, this is going to sound a little goofy at first, but let me explain. Uh, My number three, I want to do a show that revolves around General Chang. General Chang, the antagonist from Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, uh, from 1991, which is always later than I thought it was, but General Chang is actually pretty two-dimensional in this movie. He's very much the the typical Star Trek villain. Um, He loves Shakespeare, Uh, he's, like, I mean, he's Klingon, but he doesn't wear a lot of makeup because he's played by Christopher Plummer, so he doesn't have to. Um... The story of this movie is basically that there's peace coming between the Klingons and the Federation, but then a conspiracy frames Kirk for the murder of the Klingon Chancellor, and it looks like the Klingons and the Federation are going to go to war after all, Uh, but they investigate, and it turns out Chang and some other conspirators are behind it, and uh, he yells Shakespeare at them while spinning around in his chair, and then they blow him up, and and the movie's actually really good. I'm doing it a disservice, (laughs) but that's the quick, quick version. Um, my idea for this movie comes from a video game that I thought <laughs> I had such, yeah, it had such an excellent idea for a story to tell. Um, this comes from Klingon Academy, which came out in June 2000 and was our first really in-depth look. Like at like, there's there's very little Federation in this game; it's mostly Klingon. And Star Trek fans have been talking a long time about like making a Klingon show and what would that be like. And people who actually work in television will tell you, well, what will that be like is it would be unrelatable because our audience is human beings. So they don't make shows that only feature an alien culture. And that's especially exacerbated because, like, let's face it, there's only three types of Klingons in Star Trek. There's the original series Klingons, who are basically the Americans' view of the Russians during the Cold War. They're just like mustache-twirling villains. Yep. And then there are the post, like, next generation and post-Klingons, who are basically your drunken best friend, uh, who's just really happy to be here and wants to fight you.
1: And, and, and Worf. Then there, and Wharf. That's the third type. Oh, okay. I think we're going to go into Discovery.
0: <laughs> no, that, does, that doesn't does. <laughs> so the problem with that is that there isn't a lot of material. Like, like it's a very surface-level culture. Like, you know, like they, they, they have a lot of depth to it in that they've developed the language and the religion and all the toys, all the swords, but it's it's not a lot like they're warriors and they drink blood wine, and that's mostly it. Klingon Academy tells the story of how Chang came to betray his own Chancellor um to prevent this peace between the Klingons and the Federation, and it's actually a fascinating political story. It talks about like, the inciting incident for peace between the two cultures is there is this terrible mining accident on the Klingon moon of Praxis, which is where they get all their dilithium, all their, all their fuel for all your sci-fi tech, for your ships and stuff. And, like, Spock tells Kirk in the movie, it's like, yeah, the Klingon Empire has, like, six months to survive, Like, they they don't have enough resources on their own anymore. Being, like, conquering and expanding for territory, uh, they haven't been able to keep it up. It hasn't given them the resources they need to run a civilization. And now they need to be forced to evolve. And Gorkon knows this. And he's trying to make peace with the Federation because, as warrior cultures can be, like, trade and economy is also really helpful for civilization. None of that really comes up in Undiscovered Country, but Klingon Academy does this thing where they don't do it nearly enough where they show like how uncomfortable it is for this culture to suddenly have to change and Chang and Gorkin in this, so before Undiscovered Country, are pretty close friends, but Chang just can't accept. He's like, that no, we are warriors. We are conquerors. Like it's If like, our civilization is collapsing, it's because we're not warrioring or conquering hard enough. And there's actually a bit of a Klingon civil war. There's sort of a stand-in for the Duras family from Next Generation. You know, like the, the 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 way to warrior Klingons who turned out to be working with the Romulans—it's a whole thing. But Chang also rebels against Gorkin because he just he can't accept this difference. And it's the, the structure of the game is that you're a student at this academy and like you're know, you're learning how to be how to fly Klingon birds of prey and stuff. But you're constantly caught up. There are professors on both sides of this equation. Some of them really respect the Federation and think an alliance is a great idea, and some of them don't respect the Federation, but know they have to do what they have to do to survive. And some others are, "F it, we'll go down fighting." That's like that's the best thing in the world for a Klingon. You were talking about in your show, like reflecting the instabilities of a political climate. This, I feel like, would be a great way to do a show like the instabilities and the changes that need to be forced on a culture. When they find that like their way of life isn't working and it has to change, I think it'd be a really cool way to do it. So I don't like, I don't think Chang is the point-of-view character. I think that we have... I don't know, if you're actually doing the full Academy thing, maybe you have one of his students... Um, And you're sort of seeing him, like, struggle to accept this new destiny for his people. I think that gets around the problem of the Klingons not being very interesting, because now you have a lot of room to it, plus you get to see all the cool Klingon stuff that you want to see, but it's also
1: an important story
0: to tell, kind of?
1: Yeah, important in the world of Star Trek and the world of the Klingons, for sure. Yeah, like, how they went from
0: mustache-twirling villains to being your drunken best friend. I think there's a lot
1: of opportunity there. I think, I, I don't know if going with the school angle would be the way to go, but yeah, maybe like someone. Yeah, I'm not sure about the academy either, but somebody
0: close to Chang.
1: Yeah, like a, a friend maybe uh, of Gorkin and Chang's who sees the rifts forming and by the end of season one kind of has to decide who he's going to support. Yeah, or or she's like, going to yep. support
0: or an entire, like, you, know, you have a cast of characters, the crew of the X, and some of them go one side and some of them go the other. Like, a television trope would be to have a romance break up that way. Right. Right? To have one partner be on one side and one partner be on the other and just all this conflict and change. And what does it really mean to be a Klingon? Which, of course, is a way to express what does it really mean to be human? Lessons that we learn from it. Um, that could, frankly, be more of a traditional Star Trek show, despite the Klingon setting. I think a lot of it could still take place on a ship. It could still be you know, episodic adventures contributing to a larger arc. I'm seeing a lot of the same structure you could see in Deep Space Nine. Um, but just with that story, like, just of what happens to the people. A lot of your budget's
1: going to go on makeup, though.
0: Yeah, it is, <laughs> but... Uh, I mean, heck, look at Discovery. They just skipped most of the makeup, so apparently that's okay now. <laughs> Ugh, I'm sorry. I should stop <laughs> taking digs at Discovery. It's a pandemic, guys. It's Everyone's a little bit at the end of their ropes. Anyway, General Chang Show sort of as a focus for, like, a cool part of Klingon history show, I think would be really interesting. Um, the only downside is that Christopher Plummer is way too old to keep playing Chang, and his performance is by far the best part of that movie. So that's a shame. And, and that's and, saying a lot because Iman is in that movie. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of great things about that movie, but Christopher Plummer is still the best.
1: Sulu, Captain of the Excelsior is pretty good too.
0: Uh, David Warner is gorgeous. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. He's, like,
1: he's another guy who's still with us, but also way too old for to go yeah. back to that role, unfortunately. They're, they're brief, as- <laughs> brief aside, if you haven't seen it yet, go watch Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. It's just a good movie. I gotta watch it again. I, I you love it so much, and I always I go back to it and give it a shot. And, and not that I dislike it, I just never get to the same level of love that you have for it. And then I forget parts. I'm like, I gotta see it again. And and so I've probably seen it more times than a lot of the other movies. But I just yeah. want to like it more than they do. I listen. No one's judging. <laughs> I just think it's a lot of fun. Anyway, what's uh, what's your number three? So mine, it's it's gonna be kind of like. House MD, except in space, uh, and it's gonna star Admiral Beverly Crusher. Whoa! <laughs> so she's not gonna be, you know, crotchety and, and a, a jerk like like House was. But it, the idea is, it's like weird medical stuff. She's she's left. Uh, she's not on ships anymore. That all the stuff from All Good Things, where she's the captain of that uh, that medical ship. Not doing that. She's a, an admiral. She's a big wig at Starfleet Medical. And she's she and her team deal with weird sci-fi medical stuff that no one's ever seen before. So every episode, they're they either someone comes to them or they go somewhere to to figure out a medical mystery and it would be a team of like 3 or 4 young uh, well it, it could even be like on on house the sort of a rotating group of doctors i, I, I was going to say if it's going to be house it's going to be like a bunch of sexy young like <laughs> medical interns <laughs> well the in later seasons there was uh, there's some older people who joined too but they're all you're right they're all there to learn from the best and and this would be a chance to kind of not redeem but but give Beverly Crusher a chance to shine that she rarely got to on, on Next Generation.
0: <laughs> when we were talking about this idea to do this episode, I said to you as a joke to do a Dr. Crusher show, but it was like a romance, <laughs> like a romance between her and the Scottish alien ghost lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Just like seven seasons of their
1: relationship. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you didn't go with that idea. (laughs) I think we could do that, too, you know? She's she's still got the candle and secretly lights it. Oh, so she's she's married to it since then. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, and if she's if she's if uh, if they're having a fight, she puts the candle out and he disappears. And she's like, no, no, not again! And disappeared. <laughs> Right, but he's always, he can see something she can't.
0: So, and that's how they solve the medical mystery. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's lupus.
0: I'm sorry, I'm ruining your idea. It's just... <laughs> anyway, please, please, continue. So, okay, so she's house. Um, all these sexy
1: young Starfleet medical people are like bringing her weird space cases. Yeah, and it's like... They have to work together to figure out what the problem is, there's drama between them, they're they're always trying to justify their existence because they're the specialized team, and all these resources are going to these very rare diseases, but they end up, you know, stopping plagues before they happen, or dealing with, you know, pandemics, which I guess would be so unrelatable right now, but...
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I do like the idea of a rotating cast of people, and, you know, every season, one or two of them would change out, so you'd have some consistency, but also new blood coming in and new interactions. You could also have different species, have, like, a Ferengi doctor uh, as an intern one season, and have a Vulcan on the team, stuff like that, just to have have some interpersonal drama, and... You you keep it on in Starfleet Medical wherever that is. I don't know if that's on Earth or, or if it's on a space station. And and there's also continuity there because season two when of Next Generation when. Crusher wasn't there and Pulaski was there, she had gone off to... I, I can't remember if she was supposed to be the head of Starfleet Medical or just working at Starfleet Medical. But she was gone for a year, and no one knows much about that. They never really discuss it. But now we know this. she had laid the groundwork for this, and now she's back to finish the job. Do they I, have their own, like, cool medical uniforms? Sure, yeah. I like it. They'd it, still be blue, <laughs> okay. but you know, they'd have like weird... Silver piping. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Caduceus wrapped around a tricorder, <laughs> and and you have you could have episodes set at, at their home base, but also have episodes where they're on ships going to distant planets to solve problems there, or, or planets that want. Oh yeah, the yeah, we
0: gotten a we got a distress call from a Tholian ship. They have a a disease we can't cure. Atholians, they're made of rocks. What kind of medicine could we do? Oh come on, team, we've got the. We can cure a bunch of rocks. We're the best of the best.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, it would be even uh, better if you have, like, Pulaski as is her boss now. and, and they're That always... sounds
0: less, less <laughs> good. You
1: know? But you have her as, like, an antagonist who's always trying to, like, doesn't think they're necessary and, and doesn't like their attitude. And their Crusher's always fighting against her to, to justify their existence.
0: So Pulaski is Admiral Necheyev, basically?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, you know, Dr. Necheyev. Dr. Admiral Necheyev.
0: Pulaski.
1: Pulaski. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm having fun. I'm not making fun.
0: I'm having fun because that does seem... I do feel like it would have to be
1: a little tongue-in-cheek. Well, like, I don't know if you could get to the same drama levels as House. Well, like, the, the House always had a, a comedy. I mean, Hugh Laurie is a legendary British comedian, and, and he brought a lot of that to house you know every episode he had it's some very biting quips in there so I do think there is levity to be had there the other oh, thing sure
0: but I mean but they also dealt with like alcoholism and like he causes a car accident at some point or something yeah, like, I got out of the show pretty quickly I, I and, like, watched most- a lot of it
1: but I don't remember a so, lot of it
0: <laughs> like I, I don't know if you can get that dramatic in that setting
1: I think, I think you it can especially ugly. with the the younger doctors and their their drama. I mean, TV, half of TV is medical dramas and the other half is like lawyers and doctors. So there's a lot of of, of fertile ground to mind if you just replace an, you know, an angry doctor with a Klingon doctor, you know. <laughs> it's just no, that's, no, House in Space
0: is a really solid pitch. Like that tells you everything yes. you need to know. All right, let's Except go. That, let's
1: go find Alex Kurtzman.
0: Yeah, okay. Nope, it, I got it. You sold me. <laughs> okay, let's, uh, let's move on. What's your number two? My number two. Okay, my number two changed dramatically after I'd already written the notes for it. Wow. Um, spoiler alert, the following conversation contains scenes and spoilers for Star Trek Lower Decks, the season finale. If you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, you will like Star Trek The Lower Decks. For the love of God, stop listening... Go watch all ten episodes and then come back. Okay, alert over. So this is tricky for me because now I have two ideas co-mingling. My number two was going to be I wanted to do the Captain Riker show.
1: Right. Um, makes and
0: sense. This, is, this is inspired by at the end of Picard where we see Riker show up on the Zenghi and he's a badass and he talks down the, the Romulan traitor. Uh, He's on the the fastest, toughest ship that Starfleet's ever built. And as much as I'd love to kick your ass, I'm giving you the opportunity. Like, I wanted to see more of that. Then Lower Decks had their season finale, where we saw joyful, insane, crazed, (laughs) energetic Captain Riker on the Titan. And immediately I was like, well, I would rather see that Riker
1: than (laughs) like old Riker. So now I kind of have two ideas commingling on my head. I think, I think there's room for that on a show, though. You know, like, some episodes are a little lighter. Some episodes, if, if the the conflict or whatever they're up against is darker, then he can get darker.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, like let's be fair. Cartoon Riker and television Riker definitely like, are not the same character. Uh, the same way that, like, you know, episode Picard isn't the same as movie Picard. And that's fine. That's what you expect when you change mediums. Um, I don't know if the two of them could entirely commingle, but it's like in terms of the setting, my initial thing was going to be like, this is the dark, gritty future of the Federation, right? They've turned their eyes inward. The Alpha Quadrant is sort of falling apart without them. Starfleet seems like they're a lot more, you know, military fleet than Explorer these days. Picard is like given up in protest, and Riker is now the star of the show. But now I'm thinking maybe we dial it back a little more Maybe show Riker, like, on the Titan, where he's ha- where he has everything he's always wanted and he's thrilled about it. He's got, you know, he's got Troy, he's married to his wife, who's also on the ship. He's got this cool, brand-new starship. He has, goes on exciting adventures. I think I like Riker as, like, an evolved Kirk. Yeah, like, I, I like that, too. That's a good pitch. Yeah. So, like, Kirk—I mean, well, for one thing, Kirk doesn't work nowadays because just the way he treats women— is a little outdated a Hello. tad <laughs> yeah um but but you can still have like sexy action captain like as opposed to you know Picard like calm logical rational captain i think it's i think sexy action captain is a really cool... I I think you can do a lot with that character. Now, you mentioned our draft episode before. Your Maquis thing that you pitched was kind of similar to the episode idea you came up as a result of our Star Trek draft. If you haven't listened to it, check out our Star Trek draft episode from earlier in the quarantine season. That's a lot of fun. My pitch in that episode was a Riker versus the Borg episode, and I think the Borg are a little too dark for what I want to do here. I think this is going to be more of an adventure... Like sci-fi, like episode of the week kind of thing. Uh, in terms of tone, I feel like maybe it's a little bit closer to Stargate, like like the like a like a lighter Next Generation, like Next Generation with more fun and a little less sci-fi. Uh, but just having like a captain who plays jazz. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that's an easy pitch. It's an easy segue for new viewers because they'll know who Riker and Troy are. There's room to develop new crew members because we know very little about the Titan, about his ship. All the, like, canon information about it mostly comes from this episode of Lower Decks, which is wild. <laughs> and, as, and finally, I mean, I'm a ships guy, and, like, just, man, that the Titan is a pretty ship. I, 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 both in terms of just, like, it's cool art design, how it's made, and I like the concept. It's, it's like, it's a bigger, more modern Voyager. Like, it's still kind of, cl- like, small and quick. Not as much as the Defiant, but it's not a big, like, it's not a big battle cruiser, like the Sovereign class, like the Enterprise.
1: Which uh, is weird for a ship called the Titan.
0: Well, it's, it's named after the Moon, right? Apparently that whole, the Luna oh, class okay. of starships, they're, so they're all named after, like, the, the Jovian moons, Wow, listen to you, Jovian.
1: Well, okay, after the moons of like Jupiter and Saturn <laughs> and like the jeez. So, I, I think another interesting thing you could have uh, for that is is we haven't seen a ton of married people in Star Trek in general, but also a, a, a successful marriage, you know, especially of two crew members. Um, even yeah, right? Like a, a marriage that just works.
0: Yeah. Like, you see that so rarely on TV because it's such easy fodder for drama. But like like the kind of relationship that Gomez and Morticia Adams have, you know? <laughs> yeah. Where they're just delightfully in
1: love and 100% supportive of each other all the time. And like, I, I also feel like at this point we can get stories that... that take make better use of Troy than next generation did uh, sort of yes. correcting <laughs> correcting mistakes of the past cuz when she showed up in Picard it was a beautiful scene there was interactions with her that you you it were like decades in the making and, and it was yeah, so it, good it to it actually it was the best Troy by yeah. far and and you even get a taste of that in the lower decks too and and it would be great to have her actually be useful episode to episode and even if
0: it's not use thing, even if it's not like a function thing, just having her in a relationship with Riker would be right. a blast. Like just seeing that dynamic. There's only a, there's a couple lines about that right at the end of this lower decks episode, and there's sort of play flirting about little Riza, and it's just it's it's just it's so nice to see a happy ending, even though we know thanks to Picard that it's going to get a little bit off kilter for them.
1: But then he makes peace
0: drama, but, but yeah, he makes pizza. That's true. Uh, but no, the, the the Will Riker show, the Captain Riker in his prime, uh, I think would be a, like an easy pit, like an easy success, right? Do you recast uh, Frakes? Oh God, I don't know. Like he's he's not that old, but he's old. Like they, I feel like he could st- he still carries the energy enough to be young, but they'd have to CG him a little.
1: Hmm, Uh, that gets
0: expensive. It does, so it's a tough call. That being, like, if they had to recast him, I I can't say off the top of my head who could do it, Uh, but I feel like it could be done. Like, the same way, like, they recast Spock for Disco, and it was actually a pretty good Spock, I I think you can recast Riker without it being
1: too traumatizing. Okay. Well, interesting. Get some notes from... uh from Frakes while he's around, maybe have a relationship like Nimoy had with uh, with Zachary Quinto. That was a delight. Yeah, yeah. Anyway,
0: that, uh, that's, I mean... Yeah. We'll see, because Alex Kurtzman is definitely listening to this. Episode.
1: <laughs> but yeah, that's my number two. What do you got? Okay, so my number two. I, there's, there's a type of TV show that's very popular in the UK, where it's a quaint little town that seems to have a mountain of murderers and crimes, and, and every episode, it's a detective or priest or something that's going around solving these crimes. I want to do that in Star Trek, using Picard's Romulan Talshiar, Housekeepers. Oh, yeah. Uh, who got left behind after like episode two of Picard. They were like the most interesting characters, and then they're just like dropped like a, like a, what is it, a bad check? But, you know, bring them back. Have them be working on the, on Chateau Picard. They don't know where Jean Luc is. He's off having his adventures with, uh, with the, his new crew, Seven of Nine and, uh, Dr. Murderer and all the rest of them. And have so have them work in the the vineyard, and uh, some crime happens in in the first episode, and, and someone from the town, La Bar France, comes up to them and is like, "Hey, this happened." And I I know you're outsiders here, and you've got this mysterious past. But maybe you can help me solve this problem. And they're like, no, 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 no. no. But they get, oh, you're the only ones I can trust to solve this because you're outsiders, right? And so they yeah. get they get pulled into it, and it's in like an hour long episode. And by the end, they've they've rooted out some sort of horrible. Well, maybe not even horrible. It's a small town. They they find out the person who's been shoplifting from the corner store, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And it just continues from there. Like episode two, another person's like, uh, it becomes easier and easier to bring them in, and and you could have like, I don't know, eighty episodes of this. Just these small town crimes. Maybe they get pulled out for like a sweeps week. They go to Paris to solve a problem. But they're they're these badass Talshiar Romulan operatives, and they've got all this this history. And they, because of their spycraft, especially the super dark spycraft of the Talshiar, they have skills that that the. Uh, police they forces. They have a certain
0: and- set of skills that make them a nightmare <laughs> for shoplifters like you.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, skills that no one on Earth has anymore, because it's such a paradise. But every once in a while, you need the Tal Shiar guys to solve your, your problem. Ex-Tal Shiar. Ex-Tal Shiar. Like, that's
0: the bit. Like Every episode, someone calls them Tal Shiar, one of them has to go, X. tal Because that's even cooler. Uh,
1: man, the more we talk about it, the more I want to do it. Okay, this one is a little tongue-in cheek, right? For sure, for sure. But okay. I think yeah. you can have uh, a lot of fun with it. and and there is a reason why those shows are, are so successful because they're they're easily digestible. They're fun and they're they're like these quaint little towns. and and I think doing that except set it in the future, it would be like a great thing like you cozy up on a Friday night, put that on, let it gently lull you to sleep. Be perfect. Midsummer oh, murders on in, in the twenty fourth century.
0: That, that sounds fun. I'm getting like a hot fuzz kind of feel. Right. Of the, with yeah. Romulans. With, with Romulans. <laughs> no, that is a delight. It's sort of a like this sort of a Mister and Mrs. Smith thing. Like the way they had disruptors hidden all over the vineyard. Yes. Yes. For sure. Yeah. And, and oh, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, let's be, let's be fair. A big part of this is just how great those performances were, and how woefully underused they were. Like, for, like, whoever decided to only have them in the first couple episodes of Picard and then just write them out is insane.
1: Yeah, they they were more interesting than like any of the other characters uh, uh, that were brought into the show. I, I I hate to say it, even a seven of nine.
0: Yeah, no, Seven of Nine. We talked about that in our our Picard review. You can also find in a previous episode. Seven of Nine didn't have much to do. It didn't seem like she really needed to be on the show. It seems like Jerry Ryan wandered onto the set one day, and they figured, hey, you know what? This would be
1: fun. She made a, it was a made the the trailer a lot more exciting because it was a great surprise in the trailer. But it feels like maybe she was written into the show just for the trailer.
0: Yeah. And then with the Romulans, I mean, do you even remember the names of any of the other Romulan characters?
1: They're Laris like, and uh, Jabon.
0: Yeah, they are. But I mean, like, sexy Romulan boy oh, spy. Right, and his yeah. creepy incest, half-incestuous sister. Right, right. Like, like you know. No. Uh, <laughs> N- Narek. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, I mean, well, anyway, you get the point. Yeah, they were by far the coolest Romulans on a show that turned out to be mostly about Romulans. Even though the trailers f- sort of featured the Borg for no reason. Pretty but, yeah. Big. We're not here to dig up the card. Um, we, we did yeah, that no, for no. like an hour and a half. Yeah, no,
1: Romulan Hot Fuzz, or Romulan, like, Wuthering Romulans. I don't know what you're... Mid- uh, but, I yeah, mean, I, there's this very popular show that's been on for, it feels like decades now, called Midsummer Murders, and that's sort of the vibe I'm going for.
0: Okay, Midsummer Murders featuring the T- x Shiar. Yeah. Yep, I would
1: watch that tonight. <laughs> oh, gotta get to Kurtzman.
0: Yeah, very much.
1: All right, what's your number one?
0: My number one, uh, no need to bury the lead, I want to do the young Miles O'Brien show. Oh, interesting. Miles O'Brien, played by Cole Miany, um, he showed up as uh, you know a little nobody in the first episode of Next Generation in 1987 and carried on with a major character arc in Deep Space Nine. Um, he didn't go to Starfleet Academy, he's not an officer, He's just uh, he's just a guy. And we are Constantly, constantly dropped with all the, the hints of how cool he is. In the episode with Worf's trial at DS9, the prosecutor introduces him by saying, um, As of star date, whatever, O'Brien has served aboard a half dozen starships, participated in 235 separate combat engagements, and been decorated by Starfleet on 15 occasions. All of that in his background, and his job on Next Gen was to work the transporter.
1: Yeah, or in that first episode, be kind of like a backup journey. Yeah. Now, to be
0: fair, much bigger arc in Deep Space Nine. We've talked about him before. If you're a regular fan of the podcast, you've heard us gush about O'Brien. Lower Decks made a joke about O'Brien being kind of an obscure character. The fact of the matter is, like, as his engineer arc on DS9 is great, but we are introduced to O'Brien where he has kind of like a future PTSD because of like his background in the war. Right? And a lot of that comes out in the the episode with Captain Maxwell in um, The in Wounded the Next Generation. In the Wounded. There you go, thank you, where it's where it's about that, frankly. It's about PTSD and these horrible things that happened to him in the off screen war with the Cardassians. I think it's time to have that show. I think it's time to see like like episode one, O'Brien graduates from Starfleet Academy and gets his first posting. Well, not and, Starfleet Academy, wherever Or not Starfleet Academy, you're right. It's just a go to is a go to, but he's not an Academy guy. He just sort of signs up. And like did he sign up to be an engineer? Like like he think like they say on the Rutledge he's serving as junior tactical officer. Right. Which and is like what, is, what does that even mean? We're not sure. It's time time to find out.
1: Yeah, in in you know, a next generation at least in the first episode, he's in uh, command red, and then that quickly changes. Uh, so there's a lot, lot to. He's so mysterious. Yeah, right. There's so there's so many cool hints and things to unpack and things um, to recon.
0: That's who. I mean, look, there's a lot of things that you just have to... let. Like, his rank is all over the place. Like, sometimes he's a lieutenant for yeah. no reason, and sometimes he's back down to chief petty officer, and then it's like then he becomes chief, and he's chief engineer on DS9, it's like, is that even a rank, or is that more of, like, a title? Like, there's, there's a lot that's just sort of skipped over for convenience's sake. But it's time to find out. And Now, this show is, like... Like, Captain Riker is going to be a lot of fun and exciting and interesting in Star Trek. This is going to be darker. It sounds like a lot of this is kind of a war story. I think this is, like, an arc by arc of him moving around from ship to ship and from battle to battle and sort of growing up from, you know, a starry-eyed kid who just wants to make Warp cores work to the, you know, the hero
1: of Setlick Three. So, so, like, the TV show The Crown, that's on Netflix, that's about the royal family, the British royal family, every two seasons, a decade is covered. Is that the sort of thing you want to do here, where it's like, you know, every few seasons he changes ships, and, and we get, it's a, it's a broad overview of his life? I think so, and just, like, like, covering the highlights, and seeing how his, how he changes over the years. Okay, there, there's a lot to, to cover there, it'd be really interesting. And and you'd get a big rotating cast. You could bring in big stars because they wouldn't have to commit for very long.
0: Right, yeah. Because every time he's on a different ship, you get different people. Like, you know, one season or one arc will, will be him on the Rutledge with, like, somebody playing Captain Maxwell. You know, who's apparently a legendary captain of his own back during the day, but then on another ship, like maybe it's not the captain, and he doesn't even know the captain, but maybe he has you know, a roommate or a bunk mate or something like that, but it's just O'Brien throughout the years, and what makes him the guy that he is by the time we get to Deep Space Nine. You could even towards the end do a little overlap I think with TNG, like something has to happen to him there. He can't be just waiting in that transporter room all the time, right? Those O'Brien at work
1: comics? Right, and also, like, how did did he become chief transporter officer from where he is in, in the, the in encounter at Farpoint. Like, have that the promotion structure to get up there, maybe.
0: Yeah, like, what happened like, like, he's had enough of, like, he's a soldier, and then he became a transporter guy, like, which came first. Maybe he wants to build now because like, to make up for what he did as a soldier, or maybe it was the other way around. Maybe he always wanted to build stuff, and the soldier stuff got in the way. It's I, I think this is a very character-focused, like, character study of who he becomes. Um, again, I think think that Cole Meany might be a little old, to, especially to play young O'Brien, but maybe you could use him as a framing device? Yeah. Maybe he could be playing Professor O'Brien. Right, he's right. Like the head of, like, he's teaching engineering at Starfleet Academy now, right? And maybe like, as a framing device, he's telling these stories or doing an
1: autobiography or something. Because I have to have him in the show because he's great. What you could do is at the beginning of every episode or, or season or whatever, you could have him uh, explaining some engineering concept to the class and be like, I learned this when I was on the Rutledge. Do, 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 and I flash back to young yeah, O'Brien. Yeah, I mean, it sounds silly
0: when you phrase it that way, but I think that that works. And like, like he deals with some situation in his like in, right now he's able to resolve some situation because of something he learned when he was in the trenches fighting the who knows. I like anyway, it. That's. We're yeah, we're we're harping on it, Young O'Brien. Um, I think that could be a really cool, really kind of dark kind of take on it. But it's a cool story to tell. Uh,
1: so, what's your number one? Okay, so so when they announced Strange New Worlds, the Pike show, one of the things they said about it is it's it's got to be the longest time between a pilot and a green light for a show in in television history because it's basically the show that was originally pitched uh, by Gene Roddenberry with the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, in, I think, 1964. <laughs> right. Um, that's, that's a stretch. Like, it they're, is. They're not... <laughs> yeah. But, okay, I get that. That's fun. Yeah. Tongue in cheek, but, but it's a fun line. I have something that will rival it for a timeline. The end of season two of the original series was a backdoor pilot for a show that never got made, and I want to make that show. So that episode is called Assignment Earth and it's about this guy named Gary 7 who's a human who is raised on another planet who is now back on Earth in 1968 solving global problems, you know, one day at a time, one small thing at a time to make sure Earth doesn't destroy itself before it become the, it can become the peaceful society that it's meant to be. Wow. I read a book <laughs>
0: I read a book that was an alternate universe. I think it was called The Fold. It was about alternate universes. And one of the keys to what was going on was alternate universes is one of the characters was a huge fan of Assignment Earth but didn't know what Star Trek was. (laughs) We can make that real. (laughs) We can
1: make that real. So you're telling me that was legitimately a pitch? Yeah, yeah. It was a backdoor pilot. It was uh, like Gene Roddenberry did it. I mean, there's a whole... I I rewatched the episode today in preparation for this, and it ends with uh, Spock being like, oh, yeah, it turns out we we shouldn't have tried to stop you. This was meant to happen. And, uh, And Gary Seven's like, oh, well, what else can you tell us? And he's like, well, not much. But let's just say you two have a lot of adventures ahead of you and then they beam away.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. So it was um sorry, go ahead.
1: It was meant to be a pilot. Like especially well, watch it with that in mind and you can see that they established so many things that were clearly meant to be re- regular recurring features of an ongoing TV show. He's got this this safe in his office that opens up and he can teleport anywhere in the world with it. He's got a, basically a sonic screwdriver from Doctor Who, which is this little pen thing he carries around and it seems to be able to do anything, which I may take out because it's it's a bit of a cop-out. Uh, he's got this mysterious cat that, listened, that, that, that seems to be super intelligent and is sometimes a woman. And he's got this fun sidekick a human woman young woman who's like a hippie and is is there to be the the surrogate for the audience but also to show gary seven that you know humanity's worth fighting for uh there's there's teases that he's aware of what vulcans are so there you could have star trek aliens show up every once in a while but i basically just want to do like a cross between doctor who and mad men with a dash of the original series yeah definitely interesting okay so, obviously, everyone has to be recast from it. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I also like the idea of, you know, at the time, they they were talking about stuff that would happen in the 70s, 80s, 90s that was way in the future, and, and Star Trek set these these things up to happen that haven't ended up happening. But in this show, you can show that Gary Seven's activities... Changed things that so that led to those things. Why why that timeline diverged? Why Star Trek's different from what we know? Yeah, the things uh, that lead okay. to the eugenics war, things that lead to the other uh, touch points in the future, World War Three, and, and everything after that.
0: Okay, that's fun. So in, so you get to sneak in a little bit of retconning there, but you also get to have your fun sort of space detective. Like, timey-wimey adventure mo- show.
1: Yeah, I, I don't okay. really want him going all through time. I want him mainly in 1968, but I want him, or, or you know, 68 as it goes into the 70s, for, I want it to go in real time with, with the show, in season 2, 69, etc. But he can, because of his teleporter safe thing, he can go anywhere in the world. So you'd get to see other parts of the world. Like, like when you think of the 60s in pop culture, it tends to be the hippies and it tends to be the United States. But you could see what that was like in China and Australia and in India and in Scotland, you know, he could go to different places and we would see what the world was like at those times. So you'd get a bit of a history lesson too. That uh I this is not something I had considered. I'll grant you that. <laughs> I think I you know, my ideal casting when I was thinking about this, and it's probably way too on the nose, but but John Hamm, bring him in to be Gary Seven. Okay. <laughs> 'Cause he's got the same sort of like chiseled face of, of the I don't even know the name of the actor who played Gary Seven, but that look, but he's also already so associated with the sixties from Mad Men, maybe he, he won't want to do that. Are we are we married to Gary Seven as the name? Is that <laughs> No, I that's true. It's like I, I kept thinking, like his his name is like agent 194 is, but he's like my earth name is Gary 7 and I'm like how is that helping you blend in at all <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I, I don't know why for some reason I'm hung up on that that seems particularly
1: strange but <laughs> but it, it sets him apart and, and you can have those moments where like in Doctor Who where someone's like Doctor Doctor Who you have people like Gary 7 like every episode have someone be like what the what kind of name is that
0: and okay yep Assignment Earth.
1: Okay. There we go. Wow. I got very wow. excited about that idea.
0: <laughs> it's a shocker. I'll grant you that. I, I can't say. I like. I barely remember that episode, but I will take a look.
1: Yeah. It, it hold, held up better than I thought it would in some ways. It's also fun to see Kirk and Spock wander around 1968 clothes.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, everything they do in, in, you know, pre-Earth, like the gangster episode, right? Yeah. It's
1: phenomenal. Or uh, uh, in uh, City on the Edge of Forever in their 1930s clothes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of Wales. Right. <laughs> they do a lot of time traveling in Star Trek. It's yeah. Just in, in this one, they don't even explain how they time travel. They're just like, the episode starts and they're like, we're in the year 1968 for a historical mission. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was this easy. <laughs> that is an interesting question.
0: All right, well, hey, maybe that's
1: something Gary7
0: can set up. How he got the Enterprise back there. All right, well, we are a little over time, uh, so I think we we got to wrap this up.
1: Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun, though. Any,
0: didn't really have any honorable mentions or anything. The still.
1: only one I had, and it's... It, The reason I didn't even consider it very far is because it's actually supposedly in development, but was a Starfleet Academy show with, like, the teen drama and whatever, which is also a popular genre of television show, but they're already working on that, so I figured it wasn't a, a fair pitch.
0: Yeah, like I was thinking like a Bashir thing, but the only direction that goes is Section 31, and we know they're doing a Section 31 show, so I sort of felt the same way.
1: Oh, the, my just, biggest my biggest thing with the the Starfleet Academy show that I had in my head was that it would be set in, you know, the post-Deep Space Nine years, and Ezri Dax would be a teacher, like the principal of Starfleet Academy, and she wouldn't be with Bashir, because that's like... I want to get, I don't want that relationship to be canon. And I know in the books and stuff, they're together. It never made sense to me.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That's like the only reason I want to do that show. <laughs> it's just to split them up. Yeah
0: all right well besides causing the divorces of beloved star trek <laughs> characters um are there is there anything else that we didn't cover uh, maybe there are characters that you feel like uh, have a great show a great idea a great pitch um we'd be happy to hear from it and you know maybe occasionally get it up on the air if we want to do this episode again uh, because there's a lot of cool star trek characters so we would love to hear from you
1: is what i'm getting at graham how can they get a hold of us They can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. They can contact us on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And if you want to watch us game from now, from time to time, we're on twitch.tv slash geektop5.
0: We've been playing Star Wars Squadrons, uh, the new game from EA Motive. Uh, I get to finally get to sit in the cockpit of an X Wing and blast apart TIE fighters, or vice versa. It's a ton of fun. Uh, be sure to check that out. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, thank you as always for tuning into the show. Thanks also go to Jamie Rium, the guy behind our theme song. Uh, Rium is spelled R E A U M E. Check him out at Jamie Reum Official or Jamie underscore Reum on Instagram. And check out his online sort of digital trivia pub nights at triviashmivia.com. And his general music geekery. Admittedly a bit of a blind spot of ours, but you can find it there. Um, Trivia, Shmivia, Twitch for Star Wars Squadrons, all kinds of stuff to keep you busy. And uh, until we get to talk to you again, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. You'll hear from us again next week.